This film is lit. The podcast where we finally settle the score on one simple question. Is the book really better than the movie? I'm Brian, and I have a film degree, so I watch the movie, but don't read the book. And I'm Katie. I have an English degree, so I do things the right way and read the book before we watch the movie. So prepare to be wowed by our expertise and charm as we dissect all of your favorite film adaptations and decide if the silver screen or the written word did it better. So turn it up, settle in, and get ready for spoilers, because this film is lit. Darling, it's better, down where it's wetter. It's The Little Mermaid, and this film is lit. Hello and welcome back to This Film is Lit, the podcast where we talk about movies that are based on books. We have another Disney film. It's been a while. I think Tangled was our last one. Yeah, I think that's right. Probably. At least... Like Disney animated movie? Yeah. I don't know if anything else we've done. Polar Express wasn't Disney, right? No. Okay. So yeah, uh, we got ourselves a Disney animated film. Um, we have The Little Mermaid. This was an Academy Award winning patron request. Uh, we, we, I think it was one of the options that was voted on for a Disney movie a while ago. Was it when Little uh, Beauty and the Beast won? Tangled. When Tangled one Was it one of the options? Uh, maybe. I don't remember. I don't remember either. But it is a patron request from Grey Hightower. If you would like to join the ranks of our Academy Award winning patrons, you can go to patreon.com slash this film is lit support us for $15 a month. Uh, there are multiple levels, 2, 5, and 15. But $15 a month, you get priority request, which is uh, the level that Grey Hightower supports us at, and which is why we're doing... The Little Mermaid right now. We have all of our normal segments. So let's get into our first one with Let Me Sum Up. Let me explain. No, there is too much. Let me sum up. Okay, so The Little Mermaid by Hans Christian Andersen is summarized thusly. The Little Mermaid lives in her father's ocean kingdom and is mostly content, except that she can't wait for her 15th birthday, which is when she'll be allowed to rise to the top of the sea and see the surface world. When she finally does, she ends up rescuing a human prince who was thrown overboard during a storm, and she falls in love with him. The mermaid pines for her lost love, and eventually she visits the sea witch to try and gain legs. The sea witch grants her legs, but in return takes her voice and stipulates that if the prince does not fall in love with and marry her, the little mermaid will die. She spends some time with the prince, but he eventually chooses a human bride. The little mermaid is presented with the opportunity to reverse her decision, but chooses not to do so. All right, that was the summary of the Hans Christian Andersen Little Mermaid. The film goes thusly. Ariel is the 16-year-old mermaid daughter of King Triton, ruler of the mer people. Merpeople. She enjoys collecting human trinkets, singing, and dislikes showing up for official functions. One evening, she comes upon a ship full of sailors, among whom is Prince Eric, a strikingly handsome monarch. Ariel is immediately smitten, and when a hurricane sinks the prince's ship, Ariel pulls him from the maelstrom 
saving his life. Eric catches a glimpse of Ariel as he comes to, but is ensnared by her voice as she sings over his nearly drowned body. Ariel, now truly bitten by young love, makes a deal with Ursula, the sea witch, to trade her voice for legs and a chance to capture Eric's heart. Ariel takes shore leave and begins her wooing of Eric with a stern three-day deadline. She doesn't get true love's kiss within three days. Her soul becomes the property of Ursula. Rom-com hijinks ensue. Ursula tries to trick the prince into marrying herself instead, but ultimately Ariel regains her voice and Eric realizes it was she who he fell in love with on the beach days before. Ursula is vanquished in a truly ridiculous manner, and Eric and Ariel marry, living happily ever after. There we go. That's about it. It's the Disney Little Mermaid. All right, we do have a guess who this week, so it's time to play the game. Who are you? No one of consequence. I must know. Get used to disappointment. Okay. Okay, I think this one will be pretty easy for you. Yeah, there's only two. We only have two. So our first one, her skin was clear and delicate as the petals of a rose. Her eyes were blue as the sea in its greatest depths. I I mean, Ariel? It is. It is or the Little Mermaid, the I guess. The titular Little Mermaid, Yeah, because yes. she's not Ariel in the movie. Yeah, she doesn't the have the, none of the characters have names right. in the book. Yeah, sweet. All right, and our other one. The most beautiful of them was one with large black eyes he certainly seemed not older than 16. I'm going to assume this would be the prince. It is the prince. You're right. It's <laughs> very, very easy. easy yes. It's very, very easy. Uh, uh, the only um, other, there's no other character descriptions? The only other character with a description in this story is a character that is not in the movie, All right. which is the Little Mermaid's grandmother. Interesting. So Okay. All right, I've got some questions, so let's get into it in Was That in the Book? Nicholas Flamel is the only known maker of the Philosopher's Stone. The what? Honestly, don't you two read? So I'm going to assume this is a Disney movie thing because it's in every Disney movie thing, although not in all of them that they talk necessarily, but they do talk in this one. Uh, and that is, uh, I wanted to know if the mermaids... And the mer mer people being friends with fish, not not necessarily that they have to talk because they Mm -hmm. do talk in this movie. Not necessarily that they have to talk, but that they're like sentient and like friends with the Mm. mer people. You know what I Mm -hmm. mean? Like they somehow seemingly are of equal intelligence, right? To the mer people, except for sharks. Except for sharks, which I think they might be too. He's just mean. I mean, he doesn't talk at all. Well, no, because he's trying to kill him. I don't know. They, I mean, he yeah, they don't have a conversation. I mean, maybe. Who knows? But <laughs> I, I feel like it, he could maybe talk. They just he's, That's not what he's there for. I don't know. <laughs> uh, but you are correct that um, an animal friend is one of the hallmarks of a Disney princess. Oh, yeah. Well observed. Uh, but in the undersea world of the short story, fish are like roughly equivalent to birds. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah. It is mentioned that they will quote unquote fly through the windows of the palace and eat from the princess's hands. So that's kind of like Disney princess esque yes, as it well. It is. It is. But they're not like they're that's, they're more yeah. they're like animals. They're yeah. like wild animals. Yeah, that's just... more like a classic Disney. That's like a Snow White thing. Yeah, yeah like the birds. The... Yeah make her dress or whatever cinderella that's cinderella whatever close enough but yeah it is definitely uh 
Yeah, that's kind of what I assumed that it wasn't. They weren't going to be like. Yeah, she doesn't have, have like a fish like, best friend. Best friend is a fish that she yeah. talks to and right. has hijinks with. Great, cool. Uh, is uh, the Little Mermaid amazed by forks? Uh, this was, I know, I'm sure there's been plenty of discussion of this on mm-hmm. the internet. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's still, uh, I, I realized I remembered very little about this movie <laughs> as we watched it, like of the details of it, like yeah. uh, general sort of swaths and elements of it. I remembered, um, but much of the like point to point, like plot details and stuff, I remembered very little of because I guess I haven't seen this one in. Since I was a kid, probably. Yeah. Uh, but she's amazed by forks. She finds a fork on a shipwreck and it's blown away by it, doesn't know what it is, wants to know what it is. And the guy is, is that the Dinglehopper? Yes. Yeah. Uh, and uh, she thinks it's for like combing hair. And I was like, y- your father has a trident? That's just a big fork? Why is. I mean, to be fair, it does look pretty different than the small fork. I mean, kind of, but they do the same thing and they're not. If you have a trident, <laughs> I feel like you understand the principle of a fork. I could be correct. That it's like, for stabbing? Yeah, that it's for <laughs> impaling things with. Like, it, it, they look, it looks very similar to a trident. Mm-hmm. It's just kind of strange to me that you wouldn't, but I don't know. Uh, but, but beyond the, the fork in particular, does the Little Mermaid collect human trinkets? So there's nothing in the original text about being amazed by forks. Okay. It is noted that her sisters like decorating their gardens with items from shipwrecks, but the titular Little Mermaid does not do this. Oh, so they stole that from, I think it makes sense. They just kind of like swept it on over. Yeah, I mean, and it makes sense with where her character goes. Yeah, with totally. Falling in love with a human and that sort of thing. And, you know, her fascination with the human world. Ursula. Is Ursula even in the the book? Uh, she's a banished, and I don't know how to say this, Cecalia? <laughs> I don't know, because she's not a mer- mermaid. No, she's a... She's, a she's half an octoperson. Human half octopus. And they, they're called Cecalia. I don't... C-E-C-A-E-L-I-A, but I don't remember. I don't know how to say that. Uh, And she was banished from their kingdom by King Triton uh, because she got too greedy and tried to usurp his throne or whatever, and uh, she wants revenge. Mm -hmm. Is that Ursula? Is she in the book at all? Is this a created character? Well, there is a sea witch character in the book, but she doesn't have a backstory, nor is she a fleshed out character like in the movie. Yeah. Uh, I think this is a good choice on the movie's part, especially considering that they wanted a narrative with a direct villain. Right. Whereas like in the book, the conflict really just comes from the situation in general and not like a specific, there's not a specific antagonist. Right. Um, However, I will say that, the sea witch being like a folktale stock character is something that I enjoyed in the book. Um, I just think that's kind of an interesting dynamic. Like, yeah, the town witch, that's a perfectly normal thing to have. Mm -hmm. I think all towns should have a town witch. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So I do enjoy that, but I think as far as what the movie is doing, it makes more sense to have like a fleshed out antagonist. antagonist. Yeah. So so in the book, you're saying that the sea witch is not, she doesn't have nefarious necessarily no. like motivations. It's just like the magic that she does is. Yeah, she's 
I mean, she's presented as kind of like scary, right? But she doesn't have like any motivations, motivations or like larger designs. Um, the Little Mermaid goes to her and is like, "Here's what I want," and she's like, "Yeah, I can do that as long as you pay me." Right. So yeah, it's you. You pay me this and that. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Does the Little Mermaid want to be part of that world? Is that her motivation? So in the movie, she's we set up and we talked about in the prequel the "I Want" song, uh, which is part of that world. Um, and her whole thing is that she she's fascinated by the human world and doesn't believe all the things she's been told by the other mer people about how they're evil and bad or whatever, and and wants to go explore up there because you know it's the it's the great it's the grass is greener it's the great fascinating beyond mm-hmm. is it a similar motivation for our little mermaid in the book um basically uh, she is really interested in the surface world although she doesn't actually want to go live there until she sees the prince mm-hmm. um she just thinks it's super fascinating because it's so different from her world yeah and i guess we don't know for sure that ariel would have ever like tried to I go live there if she yeah. hadn't. Come I mean, she the expresses the desire yes. to want to go there yeah. before she sees right. Prince Eric. But yeah, I don't know if she ever actually would have taken that jump without yeah. that motivating right. factor of right. a hot guy. Hot guy. <laughs> uh, does Triton destroy her collection of stuff? Because that's some real abuser stuff in the movie. He comes in and all of her human things that she has when he, after he finds out that she. Um, yeah, is this after she has come interacted with Eric and saves Eric? Is that when this? I can't remember when this falls yes. in the story. Yeah, and he finds out about that. Yeah, he finds out about that. Right, and comes to confront her. About yeah, it. and then as he confronts her, um, and she's obstinate, he destroys like he shoots his <laughs> trident laser <laughs> and destroys like all of her stuff that she has, uh, all of her human stuff that she has. Uh, is there anything uh, sort of an inciting incident like that in the in the book? No, that's not from the book. Uh, the Sea King in the story is really a non-character. He's only mentioned. We don't ever actually interact with him. Yeah. That scene in the movie where he destroys her grotto, though, like seriously scared me more than any other part of this movie as a kid. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's by far the scariest part of the movie. Yeah. <laughs> Nothing else is really particular. I mean, I guess you could... Some of Ursula's parts are, I guess, kind of creepy, but like, yeah, that's like violent rage, <laughs> like from a parent. Yeah, from a parent. It's like, yeah, it's 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 uh, it's scary. And that's I mean, I think you do hit the nail on the head when you say it's abusive. It, it absolutely is. Yeah. I mean, healthy boundaries so that your kid doesn't get hurt. Right. Great. Great. Destroying, destroying their, their stuff in a fit of in rage. In a fit of rage because they didn't act the way you wanted them to. Not good. Bad. That's not what we're about. Nope, not, it's not it, Chief. Uh, so ultimately, does uh, the Little Mermaid trade her voice to become human? I wanted just to know if that's the deal or if they changed it at all. Because it's one of those things that if they, I could see it being a movie thing because, you know, since it's a musical, like, and she, we see her singing, and that's, like, mm-hmm. her big opening number. Having her give up her voice feels like a very, like, fitting for a musical, <laughs> like, you know, <laughs> and for that. Feels like a, a a good trade in terms of, like, stakes. Is that which, what happens in the book, though? Um, yeah, it is. Uh, the sea witch makes her a potion that splits her tail, 
and gives her legs and she takes her voice as payment. Is her voice in the book seen as anything valuable beyond like obviously your voice? Like so in the movie we we set up before she trades her voice away that Eric mentions when when after she saves him that she had the most beautiful voice and like mm-hmm. so we like there's extra stakes of like this is the thing that he knows her by you know what I mean mm-hmm. um and because he was kind of out of it and didn't really get a good look at her and that sort of thing so he doesn't know exactly what she looks at like necessarily but he does remember her voice um in the movie are there any of those added stakes in the book or is it just like just purely like well, your voice is obviously an important thing. There's not you know there's I mean? not added stakes with the prince okay. in the book. And we know that she is like she has a beautiful voice, that she's okay. a good singer. So that is there is at least that. There's that. Okay. Um, but there's not anything extra with like, oh, the prince knows my voice or anything like that. Okay. But it is it is interesting that there is at least the element of her being it's not literally just like, uh, like, because I'm not a good singer, but I mm-hmm. still wouldn't want to lose my voice. Right. But I don't have any extra added stakes of like, I'm not like a magnificent opera singer. So it's like <laughs> extra tragic if I, you know what I mean? Obviously the podcast would suffer, but, <laughs> or be better according to some people, but. <laughs> All right. Does Ursula slash the villain, uh, the sea witch, uh, does she turn herself into a pretty lady to steal Eric? Because after. She's starting to realize that Ariel's going to pull us off and, and get Eric to kiss her and thus complete her side of the deal and, mm-hmm. and, and get back her voice and get to stay a human or whatever. Uh, and Ursula's not about that, so she's going to throw a wrench into plan, but she becomes a pretty little uh, person herself and then woos Eric to marry him first so that Ariel can't and thus fails at her deal. Any of that stuff? No, that's not from the book. Uh, That part of the narrative does build out on what happens in the book, though. Uh, The prince marries another girl from a a neighboring kingdom. He's not enchanted or anything like that. He's just kind of dumb and thinks she's the one who rescued him. And to be fair, she is the person who finds him after the Little Mermaid leaves him on the beach. So in a sense, she kind of is the person who rescued him. But I, I think this was a good change from the movie, and also how fun for Jodie Benson to get to play a villain for, like, five minutes. Yeah, she gets to play the villain in her own movie, yeah. where she's also the, the hero, so that's fun. Um, yeah, I think it makes sense. I think it's a it's a fun change, and it... <sighs> yeah, it's a fun kind of expansion on what's already in the source material yeah expansion twist and especially since we're we're presenting ursula as more of a as the main antagonist right giving her an extra you know otherwise she just sits at the bottom of the ocean the whole time doesn't really do anything and other than make the first deal so giving her that that also gets her up with them for the climax of the film, mm-hmm. which makes sense. I super did not remember giant Ursula at all <laughs> when Ursula turns into like Godzilla. She super sizes herself. Yeah. Yeah. She, yeah, she, she looks like Ant-Man <laughs> in, in the <laughs> Civil War coming out of the ocean. And I was like, holy cow, I don't recall this at all. It's like, maybe I never saw the end of this movie. I don't know. <laughs> but I didn't remember giant Ursula at all. Does that happen in the book? No, no giant, no giant sea witches sea witch. in okay. the book. Uh, and then followed up by she gets freaking impaled mm-hmm. by a ship. And I did not remember that at all either. And I felt like I would remember that. 
No, I don't. Is that in the book? Obviously, <laughs> she's not <laughs> no, giant. Not in the book. Is, I mean, it's a pretty effective way to get rid of your villain, though. Like shish kebabbed and struck by lightning. Yeah, it's she really gets it at the end. She really does. And it's like I don't even know if she was that deserve it. Like she was bad, I guess. But like, man, they really get <laughs> took care of her. It is interesting because it's a pretty brutal death. Like Disney villain deaths are often brutal, but they usually, usually happen off, off screen. screen. And it is interesting to me because this is the movie that like kicked off modern Disney. Yeah. And I wonder if I, I mean, I'm, I don't think there was like a backlash, so to speak, no, about it. Not. But, but maybe they just thought if, like, maybe like we moving forward, they were like, yeah, maybe we shouldn't like terrify children. <laughs> yeah, because usually it's like there's like a shadow or, or like, so like in Beauty and the Beast, he just falls. Yeah, he falls and it's like it's implied that he meets a very right, grisly end. He just but, falls into the nothing. Yeah. Could have fallen into water technically, maybe, probably, you know, we know that's not what happened. But <laughs> um, trying to remember how what happens to Jafar. He, he gets lives, he gets he? trapped in the lamp. Yeah, yeah, but he like survives. Yeah. But he so he doesn't die. And then, and uh, Scar just gets eaten by the hyenas, right? Implied, that implied, he gets but, eaten but by, we don't but, see it. Yeah, yeah. yeah well, that's one where we see like shadows. Shadows. Of them that's the one I was on thinking him. of with yeah. the shadows. Anyways, interesting. Okay, uh, so uh, getting to the end, uh, I think this is my last question: Do Prince and Ariel, Prince Eric and Ariel, get married in the end? You wrote three pages in response let's, to this, so oh. <laughs> let's strap in because I have a lot to say about this. All righty. And it's probably not going to be what you guys might think. So first off, The Little Mermaid and the Prince do not get married at the end of the short story. And I want to talk about that here, even though this is something that I would put into better in the movie. Okay. I want to talk about why. Okay. I want to break it down a little bit. All right. Let's get it. So the first thing we need to do is go over how the short story ends. And recall that I mentioned in the prequel that Anderson considered this a happy, hopeful ending. Right. Yeah. Now, the ending is the most major way that the movie diverges from the original text. Obviously, there was a lot of stuff added. Um, but I would call the ending, like, the biggest singular difference. So in the short story, <laughs> there's this plot point about how mermaids don't have souls. Okay. They live for, like, 300 years, but when they die, they just cease to exist and dissolve into sea foam. Okay. However, they can gain a soul through the love of a human. So part of the Little Mermaid's situation is that if she can't get the prince to fall in love with her and marry her, she'll cease to exist and dissolve into sea foam. Okay. So after the prince decides to marry another girl, the Little Mermaid's sisters appear to her in the waves, and they tell her that they've traded their hair to the sea witch, and in exchange, she gave them a knife. If the Little Mermaid kills the prince before the sun rises, then she can return to being a mermaid instead of dissolving into sea foam. However, the little mermaid chooses not to kill the prince. She flings the knife into the sea, and because she made the virtuous choice, instead of dissolving, she becomes a daughter of the air, 
which is a spirit that flies around through the air. They don't have souls either, but they can gain souls through good works. So Anderson felt that this was a hopeful ending because he gave his heroine a chance to gain a soul without depending on a human, and basically everyone else looked at it and was like, yikes, dude. Why yikes? Explain it to me, because I'm not sure that... I don't... I mean, I see issues. I, I don't think that's the ending I would write, but it doesn't strike me as particularly... I mean, well, because the out he gives her is murdering this prince who didn't do anything right. wrong. So obviously she's not going to, or at least from what I know of the story, didn't do anything wrong. He just marries this other girl because he thinks it's, he just is, likes her. I don't, like, whatever. It, you know, he doesn't, there doesn't seem to be any, like, evil on his part, evil intent, at least on his part. Um, and so the out of her becoming a mermaid again is murdering him. So she's like, no. And so he, that, gives her this other out where she becomes a different like magical entity seems fine maybe i don't know i think part of it is just the surface level fact that it's kind of a it's definitely not a traditional happy ending and it's a little bit convoluted i think the other part of it, it yeah i'll agree is that. the obvious kind of morality play at the end like this whole like you can gain a soul if you do good works kind of a thing. Oh, you made right. the virtuous choice, so now you get rewarded, kind of thing. Uh, yeah, that's fair. I guess I because I do see. I think there is something to being said that her not having the easy out of just like, I mean, he set up the rules, so it it's already kind of inherently problematic and weird. But of 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 them not having souls and humans having souls, and then being able to get a soul by yeah by getting married, that's already a weird kind of a convoluted weird setup. But <laughs> I I think that within that framework, the idea of not just sort of of her earning her soul as opposed to just getting it via like love like marriage feels not terrible i don't know and i think that's anderson's point right yeah that's why he would consider it like a hopeful ending right um i think a, a lot of other people maybe just didn't like vibe on the same frequency that he did there yeah i mean i can see people not i can see like at a cursory read not looking at it and going okay yeah that, that i don't like that ending like i can mm -hmm. understand not liking the ending and or thinking it's kind of weird and convoluted and being like what oh she becomes an air spirit okay like i can see finding it kind of strange or whatever but when i guess what i what I was when you said yikes, dude, I was thought that was implying some sort of like moral judgment on the ending as, as it being problematic, which doesn't I'm trying to find that. Is that were you implying that or more so just saying that it, it's not a great ending? More so like it's just not a great okay. ending. OK, because I was reading that as more of like like this is like a critical theory analysis of it being yikesy. No, not like. Yikesy, OK, yikesy, that's just like. Okay. Whoa, Sorry. man. Sorry, you can't use yikes Whoa. anymore. Okay. Yikes only means one thing <laughs> these days. So, <laughs> yikes only means inherently problematic. <laughs> I think it's more along the lines of like you reel this in with this like fairy tale about a pretty mermaid who falls in love with a human, and then, right. and then what is this ending? Right. I can see that. 
I, I yes, I can see people being like, I don't like this ending. Sure. I thought, sorry, again, I just to clarify, I thought you were <laughs> implying that the ending was somehow seen as like very regressive or some or regressive in some way or or problematic in some way. And I was trying I'm sure there are ways you could find it it problematic in some ways, but I, I was like not putting those pieces together, so that's why I was confused. If we go back to the idea of it being like um what's the word I'm looking for? I'm like a Victorian morality tale. Yeah. Um, I think even in its time, it would have been considered at least a little bit regressive. Really? Like just purely from that perspective. I would have thought that within Victorian time, it would have been seen as like, like progressive potentially where it's not her story doesn't end with true love and she, her, her save her salvation doesn't depend on a man. It depends on her own, like to me, that you look feels at it like the, I don't know enough about the history. I don't of it either. To like I don't either. Really do a deep dive. Yeah, yeah. No, no, I know. I'm just talking about. It. I don't either. I'm that because I was wondering if it, it, like, I could see people finding it, it in the time period not liking it because it, it, mm. it, it is. It's almost like potentially slightly like progressive in the sense of like not having a happy. Like we talked about with um, Little Women, right? And about how at the time, like, she had to write, right? She had Joe have... ending up with. Um, getting married to somebody because that mm-hmm. was how, that was a happy ending back then, and I was thinking that I could see people not liking it because it doesn't fit that mold, and then the fact that it actually goes a completely different direction in her salvation, quote unquote, her salvation is not dependent on you know um, shacking up with the dude. It's dependent on making a, a a good moral choice and then doing good deeds. Feels slightly progressive maybe i don't know i don't know maybe yeah if you look at it like specifically from like through that kind of lens like through a more like massive air quotes feminist theory massive lens um my point was that the the similarities that it draws to a kind of heavy-handed morality tale um where the message is kind of like not do good or else but you have to do good in order to have salvation right basically is maybe a little old-fashioned yes true yeah yeah depending on how it's played out and again i didn't read it so i'm not Mm -hmm. i don't know how it kind of all comes across so yeah i could see that yeah because it definitely definitely could be but i i've always been one of those people it's like you know uh I, I'm not a fan of any religions, but the one that preach good works make a lot more sense to me than the ones that preach like, mm-hmm. you know, inherent salvation, you know, whatever, uh, like salvation doctrine type stuff of just like believe and you're good to go mm-hmm. or whatever. And I know it's not that simple. I'm just saying. <laughs> so back to Disney. Yes. The choice to give this story a more traditional happy ending where the two love interests end up together and get married is definitely a very Disney choice. And if you look at it from a surface level perspective, and especially from a 2021 perspective of 84 years of Disney cleaning up the gorier aspects of older Mm -hmm. stories, I can totally see how you might say, well, the movie ending is way less interesting. Now, there are two points that I want to touch on here. One is personal to me, and it's that I'm just not really into Anderson's whole thing about souls and who has souls and how you can gain a soul. I agree with that. 
like from a personal perspective, that doesn't really interest me. And from a storytelling perspective, I think it's kind of a clunky thing to wedge into a short story, a medium that it's difficult to do a lot of complex world building in, yeah. especially since the Daughters of the Air are a literal last page deus ex machina addition to the story. Yeah. Absolutely, that feels clunky and and not well thought out. It, yeah. it would be one of those things that would definitely make it, more like, sense in a longer story. It almost you know feels like or, he wasn't quite sure what to do at the end and was like, ah, she becomes a Nair spirit. Yeah. The end. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely something that would work better in, in, a, in a novel that yes. has... More world building, and we were like aware of these other spirits, and but we don't know how. Maybe we don't know how they come to be. You know what I mean? Like right. do yeah. some ba- some some building on that in the in the beginning. Yeah. So the other point that I want to touch on is the queer subtext of this story, most specifically coming from Howard Ashman, who we know was heavily involved in reworking the story itself, not just in the music. Now, many scholars and theorists have called The Little Mermaid an allegory for Anderson's experience as a queer person. If we look at the movie the same way as an allegory for being queer, then a happy ending? So subversive. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. If Ariel is our stand-in for a queer character, she's a literal fish out of water. She doesn't fit in with the other merpeople at all. Like Sebastian says... You can go home with all the normal fish and just be completely miserable for the rest of your life. Yeah. So giving her a happy ending, allowing her to have exactly what she wants, to leave the place she feels she doesn't belong and join one that she feels she fits into, to be with the person that she wants to be with, that's not just subversive. That's radical. All right. I've got one question for Lost in Adaptation. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. Was it lost? Yes. Yes, and I want to get unlost as soon as possible. I assume this probably isn't in the book, but I'm just going to talk about it. Does Ursula slash the sea witch turn people into little seaweed creature things? And what's up with that? Is it, like, how she feeds on their souls or something? What I didn't get in the movie What? why she did that, what she do does with them. What's that all about? <laughs> So the story includes a description of something similar outside the sea witch's lair. The text calls them polyps. Polyps are a thing. Yeah. They're like sea. They're like, yeah, that's a a real thing, though. Right. Yeah. Um, So I'm going to read this description here. Behind this, her house stood in a strange wood for all the trees and bushes were polyps, half animals and half plants. They looked like snakes with many hundred heads growing out of the ground. All the branches were slimy arms with fingers like supple worms, every limb moving from the root to the highest branch. All they could seize out of the sea they clutched and held fast, never letting go again. So this is obviously something inspired by the text, but there's no indication in that original text that these are beings that the sea witch has transformed. Yeah. Huh. Are you looking something up? I was just looking at at the, at the things in real life, like colony polyps. Do they look like what's in the... No, they look more, I mean, they're like growing like coral and stuff. They look more like, um, I don't even know. Like they're just like little. Ew. I don't like that. They're just like little round 
they almost kind of look like they don't look like jellyfish, but it, <laughs> I'm, I, I can't really come up with a better description of what they look like. I mean, they kind of look like flowers. Some of them, like they just like, oh, yeah, kind of like one's, strange. That like, one's a little better. Looking. Different colored yeah. like flowers, but they are like creatures. They're like yeah. like like um, they're not plants. Okay, but as, as far as their purpose in the world of the film. I am afraid I can't help you here. Okay. Uh, it doesn't seem like she literally eats them. I never got that indication. Yeah, no, because she eats other, like, bug things. Yeah. not these. I guess she could be, like, drawing power from them somehow. Yeah, well, because they seem to be the souls of the people. Right, the people that she's, that she's like, swindled. With and, yeah, swindled. Um, and then she turns them into she turns little, them into these things. things. But, yeah, I, I never could tell if it was, like, yeah, if she was, like, drawing energy from them mm-hmm. somehow or or what um my interpretation of it was that it was just like a visual representation of her villainy yeah and uh, I, i'm sure that i mean that is what it is yeah. but i didn't know if there was maybe some other but if paper. anyone is aware of further backstory please let us know indeed let us know all right let's find out what you thought was better in the book you like to read oh yes i love to read what do you like to read? Everything. All right, so first off, if you've never read anything by Hans Christian Andersen, you really should. His fairy tales are lovely. They are flowery, which was the style at the time, but his prose is exceptionally beautiful. Um, one of my favorite passages was a description of the sea during winter. The sea looked quite green. Enormous icebergs were floating around her. Every one of them like a pearl, she said, although they were much higher than the church steeples built by men. They had the most peculiar shapes and glittered like diamonds. She had seated herself on one of the highest, and while the wind was playing with her hair, she noticed how the ships were tossed about. Towards the evening, the sky became covered with black clouds. It lightened and thundered, and the big ice blocks reflected the flashes of lightning while they were tossed up by the roaring sea. We missed out on having icebergs in the. It's true. Yeah. Cool looking. But his prose is very, it's like very evocative. Yeah, it absolutely is. It very much uh, instantly pulls images into your mind. Yeah. Um, very quickly. Um, and especially his fairy tales. If you, do, if you like, have images in your mind, I know not everybody does that. I just, rem- <laughs> I just remembered that that's not a thing that everybody does. Sorry. <laughs> if you have a mind's eye, it's a very. Uh, his writing definitely uh, is very illust- illustrative. Mm-hmm. I mean, his especially his fairy tales are quite short. Yeah. Um, so it's you know it's not something that's gonna like set you back a long way. No. Yeah. That was only like twenty pages or something. Or, yeah. The, the Little Mermaid. At least the edition I have is yeah, maybe twenty pages. Yeah. Um, narratively, I understand the movie's choice to have King Triton. Um, fear humans and forbid Ariel from going to the surface. I think that makes a lot of sense for what they were doing with the story and like the direction that they took it in. But I liked that in the world of the book, a mer person is allowed to rise to the surface on their 15th birthday. And since the little mermaid has a bunch of older sisters, she's always hearing like bits of things about the surface world without being able to actually see it for herself. Mm-hmm. So it just like feeds her obsession. When you with say it. rise to the surface, do you mean like just go up and look or like basically okay. yeah. they don't like go on rumspringa? 
I, I wouldn't call it Rumspringa, no. Well, I meant like they don't get to go up and like... Well, like live along among yeah. the people? No. Okay, <laughs> no. I didn't know if so, when you said go up to the side, like it almost sounded like they get like, they, maybe they have some sort of plant they eat that gives them legs for a week or whatever and they get to go that would like, be interesting try it out but no <laughs> okay um that okay. would be interesting for like a like if this had been a novel though that yeah. would have been like a solid choice yeah. like merperson rumspringa i like yeah. it yeah. um but coming off of that i also really enjoyed the descriptions of what each of her older sisters saw when it was her turn to rise to the surface because each of them sees like a different cool thing mm-hmm. um the description that i read of the icebergs was oh, one of her sisters a, yeah. Uh, We talked about the polyps in the book. They are clutching the skeletons of drowned humans. Um, They're so different in the movie that it wouldn't make sense to have them be doing that, but it would have been a cool, terrifying visual. Mm -hmm. Yeah, maybe too too terrifying. Maybe too terrifying. I don't think we've seen any skeletons. Uh, Even in the shipwreck, do we? Do we see one in the shipwreck? I feel like we see a skull for a minute. Doesn't doesn't there a skull that, like, scares Flounder when he right right off the bat? yeah. And my last thing here, I tried to hold off on this reveal. In the book, the sea witch literally cuts out her tongue. Oh. It's maybe too dark and gory for a Disney movie, but that's some old school fairy tale brutality, (laughs) and I'm here for it. Yeah, in the movie, we get a lovely singing scene, and then just a a glowing light. She takes a little glow glow box out, out of her throat. Yeah. No, uh, no tongue cutting. So, so does she? She literally just doesn't have a tongue up on yeah. the surface. Wild. Yeah. So not only can she not talk, she can't really taste anything. Nope. <laughs> At least not very well. I don't know how that works. I assume you can still she taste. She probably some has stuff, a hard but... time eating too. I'm sure. Yeah, I would imagine. All right, let's go ahead and find out what you thought was better in the movie. My life has taught me one lesson, Hugo, and not the one I thought it would. Happy endings only happen in the movies. I've always really loved the people reveal from the beginning of this movie. Because the movie opens on a ship. Yeah. With, like, Prince Eric and yeah. some of the sailors. Um, and they're, like, talking about people, And the mm-hmm. sailors are like, no, they're mermaids down there. Mm-hmm. Um, and Grimsby, mm-hmm. who is Eric's, like... What, butler or like he's like his, he's like his, his his uh i would say even like his like his professor like like yeah. like like royalty had like a person who like taught like this. his tutor Can't think yeah like tutor like yeah kind of thing maybe would be kind of how um what's his name in in uh little women uh oh mr brooke mr brooke is uh to lori to lori yeah. yeah like kind of like that but except like an older version right yeah so the yeah, so the sailors are like, Mer people totally exist, and he's like, No, they don't. That's made up. Yeah. It's myth. Um, and then we go down into the ocean and we get like some cool aesthetic under the sea shots, and it's like dark and kind of evocative, yeah. and then bam, a mer person. Yeah. I love it. I'm here for it. Yeah. I also really love Scuttle. I think he's great. Who's kind of annoying. But I love him. I didn't find him that annoying. He's played by Buddy Hackett, who has a very distinct voice. Mm-hmm. And I, I thought he wasn't annoying at all. I thought he just, I thought he rode the line. Like, not, or I could see how that kind of character could have been annoying. And mm-hmm. I don't think, I think they used him just enough. And he never was so, like, obnoxious that he, it got annoying to me. I just enjoyed him. 
I also just love the scene where he's basically BSing what the human objects are. I love that it it's a very neat little scene in that it establishes a lot of things. It establishes things about the world and mermaid culture while also telling us about Ariel while also giving us a comedic beat. Yeah. I totally get and buy that they don't know what a pipe is. <laughs> Still have a hard time with the fork. <laughs> pipe? Sure, makes sense. You wouldn't have a pipe underwater. What does it? You've never seen anything like that. That None of that makes any sense to you. Sure. Fork is literally a trident, but tiny. Okay. <laughs> um, I love Max the dog being the only one to notice Ariel when she's spying on them on the ship and then later recognizing her and understanding what's going on. It might be like my favorite <laughs> random thing about the whole movie Yeah, that only the dog, the dog understands what's going on. The dog's got it figured out. The dopey looking mop dog. <laughs> I love Flotsam and Jetsam, mm-hmm. who are the two uh, eels. Yeah, more eels. Yeah. Uh, every good Disney villain needs henchmen. Yep. Um, and we talked about Ursula, but I, I do like the, the decision to expand her character. Mm-hmm. Um, and I also love the design of Ursula's lair. It's yeah. like a cool giant skeleton thing. Yeah, it is creepy. Um, So in the short story, the Little Mermaid swims up to the surface before taking the potion that turns her into a human. But I kind of love that Ursula just changes her right there on the ocean floor and is like, figure it out, LOL. (laughs) Oh, you're naked and drowning? (laughs) Better start kicking. (laughs) I also just, the scene where she gets up to the surface and is delighted by her feet and legs is so cute. It is very cute. It's like endlessly cute. Prince Eric... I don't know a single girl in my age bracket who does not like Prince Eric (laughs) in some way. Um, He's great. The prince in the book is kind of a condescending jerk. Yeah. He calls the Little Mermaid a child all the time, even though they're the same age, and it's weird and gross. (laughs) Nice. Uh... There's a lot of, like, infantilization of her in the book. Which I think maybe partly because she can't speak. Yeah, I'm sure that plays into it. Yeah. Um, I know that you disagree that they wouldn't recognize Fork, but I also like really dearly love the scene where she's sitting at the table and starts just like gleefully brushing her hair. It's delightful. It's a delightful scene, and I get it, and it's fun, and it's lovely and cute, but it's also, yeah. But yeah, yeah, it's a great scene. Kiss the Girl is my favorite Disney song. I don't know if I knew that. It's objectively, I don't know if it's the best Disney song, but it's my personal favorite. I love the whole scene. I mean, yeah. And I haven't even, I haven't like even touched on it yet, but the songs in this movie, I think are definitely something that elevate it. Yeah. Like the music's great. Great music. Yeah. I love Scuttle stalling the wedding scene. Yeah. Where he rallies yeah. all of the local wildlife. Yeah, I didn't recall that either. I that that was. <laughs> I actually almost had that in the question of like, is that how anything? Is there a local wildlife like <laughs> messing up uh, the wedding or something at the at the climax? Because yeah, that was. Yeah, I did not remember that. Um, and I already discussed the ending at length, but in case there's any confusion, I would definitely put the ending under better in the movie. 
There you go. All right, let's get to a few things that the movie nailed. As I expected, practically perfect in every way. The Little Mermaid is the youngest of several sisters. It's seven in the movie, but six in the book. So close. They just Pretty made close, it a, yeah. a magic number. Um, the, yeah, a magic number. In the movie. Indeed. Um, when she first sees the prince, it is his birthday celebration, and there are fireworks. I thought that was on the boat. Yeah. Nice. Felt like that was such a bad idea. Firing fireworks <laughs> like through the rigging <laughs> past the sails. Like, this is, yeah. No wonder these people died all the time. <laughs> like ships sank all the time. Oh, you guys are stupid. <laughs> um, but speaking of, a uh, storm does come in. The ship does sink and uh, she does rescue mm -hmm. the prince from drowning. And this was an interesting thing that I did not remember about the short story is that the Little Mermaid does have a marble statue? Oh, yeah, of like a person, of like of a, a per of like a prince. In the short story, she already has the statue at the beginning. She doesn't like get it part way through. Yeah, and it's probably not actually the prince. Yeah, probably not. But I thought it was a kind of a good pickup from the original yeah. text. Yeah, and then it makes sense how they. I mean, it kind of is weird that they have it on the boat in that moment. Yeah. It's a little weird <laughs> like, in the movie that they like, oh, we're coming from point A to point B. Here, let's present this statue that was on the boat the whole time. Or, I, whatever. <laughs> like, it's a little weird, but yeah. See, I always interpret it <laughs> that as they weren't even going anywhere. They just like go out on the boat to celebrate his birthday. Oh, is that... I don't know. I thought he said that we were returning from. He did. He said we were. I'm pretty sure he says we're returning from in some place. He says Does like he? the. I swear he says they were re, were returning from. He or the, there's some reference he to some other place, like not falling for the princess of wherever. And I think that's where they're oh, coming they're supposed back to be coming from. Back from there, I okay. Think. Because I always assumed that they were just like out on the boat to party, which made yeah. it extra funny to me that they would haul that probably <laughs> extremely heavy statue yeah. onto the boat just to have that reveal. Yeah. And now I guess it could make sense. Yeah. I think I thought they were like they had visited some faraway kingdom mm -hmm. to potentially wed him off or whatever to, you know, one of the princesses. And I guess it could be true. But I thought the guy said that he had it made like Grimsby said that like. Yeah, I thought he did that too. Either he had it made. He had it commissioned or something because it would it would make sense if it was that kingdom right, like, like their as gift, a gift to him. like gave him this statue <laughs> and that's why they had it. That would kind of track and make sense and they were bringing it back. But eh, who knows. <laughs> Anyways, all right, we've got a few uh odds and ends before we get to the final verdict. So we talked about in the prequel how they made some changes to the character of Sebastian, the crab. Yeah. And he was originally going to be like an English butler kind of character. Yeah. And I love that when they made that change, they just kept the stereotypical English butler characteristics. Yeah. Instead of giving him like problematic stereotypical jamaican true. ones <laughs> true he is basically lumiere before lumiere's lumiere he's basically cogsworth he, yeah sorry that's 
Yeah, he's kind like of a, a mixture. combination. He's like of a them, mixture yeah. of Lumiere and Cogsworth. He's like if Cogsworth were also a flashy musician. Yeah. But yeah, but he's like he's fussy and he's fastidious and like prone to panicking and gets upset when things aren't going like exactly perfect. And I just love that they kept all of those characteristics. Yeah. yeah. Instead of making him like he's not like a a, a stoner or something. Yeah. Like a, yeah, yeah. He's not Bob Marley. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Good call on that one. So it's revealed um, early in the film that Ursula is watching Ariel with her like magic glowy ball, mm-hmm. which somehow connects to the eel's eyes. Yeah, which I yeah I feel like raises the question if she was watching all of the daughters (laughs) waiting for them, like waiting for one of them to do something that she could use as leverage or like specifically just Ariel. I think she could. She 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 realized early on that Ariel was flighty. (laughs) She's like that one. one. (laughs) She's going to be easy to to manipulate. (laughs) The rest of them just like stay in the castle and. Yeah, you know, do their royal mer people things. Ariel, though, she's gonna she's gonna cause trouble, <laughs> and I can use that. I uh, I was amazed by how similar. So there's one song in this movie that I didn't recall, and I don't remember what it's called. Is it? Uh, it's called Le Poisson. Le Poisson. It's called the fish. Yeah, the fish. Uh, it's and it's the the French chef sings it mm-hmm. um, in Eric's castle and. The song is like kind of almost be our guest. It's yeah. Like melodically. It's yeah. very reminiscent of Be Our Guest. I was like, it's I keep getting little hints of like, wait, is it gonna bust into Be Our Guest? No? Okay. It's very similar to me. It's like the proto Be Our Guest. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. But I love that scene because I feel like it's something that would get cut from a current era Disney film. Yeah. Like it doesn't advance the narrative. Doesn't tell us anything about an important character. No. It's literally it's a, just for fun. Just a little side scene for just, fun. Just for funsies. Yeah. <laughs> and I also love that he's literally just singing the fish, the fish. Yeah. I love the fish. Yeah. But it's French, so it sounds fancy. Sounds fancy. I know Under the Sea won the Oscar, but how can you not love the fabulous villainy of Poor Unfortunate Souls? Yeah, it's... It's got all the drama you could ever want. All the drama you could ever want. So I put a poll on Twitter while we were watching the movie yesterday. I don't know if you noticed the poll that I put I up noticed. I saw. Not. I hadn't looked at the results. And I, I asked the people to weigh in on whether or not they thought Prince Eric was a himbo. Mm-hmm. And a himbo, according the to the internet. The real discourse happening on this podcast. <laughs> right. This is, yes, the discourse. <laughs> um, so according to the internet, a himbo is a man who is, who you have to hit this three-point trifecta mm-hmm. of being dumb, beefy, and kind. Mm-hmm. So, like, the prototype himbo is Kronk from The Emperor's New Groove. Yes. Dumb, beefy, kind. So I asked people to weigh in on whether or not they thought Prince Eric was a himbo. Because my sticking point was intelligence. He's not, like, 
cronk dumb. No. But he's also not the brightest bulb. He's not smart. Yeah. I, I, I guess we don't... I think part of the problem is we don't spend enough time with him to really know if he's True. smart or not. Yeah. But he doesn't seem particularly... Well, you don't ever see him do anything particularly clever. Yeah. I guess would be one way to put it. Um. And he has, like, a couple lines here and there that are like, oh, yeah. <laughs> sweetie. <laughs> yeah. A little bit. A little bit. What uh, What were the results? Did you say the um, results? So 60% of respondents agreed that Prince Eric is a himbo. I, I'm looking at them live. Yes. It has changed slightly. Changed slightly. 61%. 61%. And then what was the next largest response? Uh, maybe. Maybe. With 30%. <laughs> Thirty percent of people weren't really sure. weren't sure, but like maybe question mark. I might have answered that because I don't. <laughs> I don't. I, it, it gets tough. Yeah, uh, and only nine percent said no. Absolutely not. Well, there you go. Prince so, Eric is either definitely a himbo or possibly a himbo. Definitely, or he's ninety-one percent definitely or possibly a himbo. Well, there you go. <laughs> the people have spoken. The people have spoken. Okay, so my last note here. This is just a thing that I've always found funny about this movie. Uh, at the at the end, at the big climax, when he's about to kiss her, and then she suddenly gets her mermaid tail back, yeah, and like falls to the ground. Then they both just like <laughs> look at each other and shrug, yeah, and I love it because it makes no sense. But also, what do you do in that moment? <laughs> but look at the other person. And shrug. Yeah. Like, what am I supposed to do about this? Well, she's a fish person. I will say this is an interesting point. We got a comment here from Telehell on Twitter that said, to be honest, he does know his way around a ship. So I don't think he's afraid to get his hands dirty. Himbos are usually neater. I don't know if you have to be neater to be a himbo, but he does know his way around a ship. It's true. In a way that requires some level of intelligence. Competence. Yeah, competence. To be fair, though, Kronk isn't incompetent at everything. True. He has his own competent. Like, I think you can be competent at things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like, you can have a competency in something that is... Um, Maybe like more traditionally like a sort of a blue collar skill or mm -hmm. something as opposed to like you can't be like an academic. Yeah. You know what I mean? I guess would be the idea behind um, that incredibly insulting term. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. It's time for the final verdict. Now, uh, are you ready for your sentence? Sentence? But there must be a verdict first. Sentence first. Verdict afterwards. All right, so I honestly, I feel like I shouldn't have to make a super strong case here. <laughs> but I'm going to give this one to the movie. The short story has its strong points, most notably the lovely prose. But the movie is more fun. It has amazing music. And the ending is more satisfying on a few different levels, at least for me. Like I said, I feel like I don't need to make a super in-depth case <laughs> for this one. But if you disagree with me, please respond uh -huh. to our follow-up polls because I would love to hear your thoughts. Absolutely. Be super um, and even if you agree with me, please also respond because I would love to hear your thoughts as well. There you go. And I want to give here another shout-out to our Academy Award winner level patron, Gray Hightower, for requesting this book slash movie. It was a nice, fun time. It's a 
It's only an hour and 25 minutes long. Got the, we watched it so quick the other day. We did. We did. <laughs> took no time at all. All right. Before we go, I want to remind you that you can always do us a giant favor, like Katie just said, of supporting us on Patreon, patreon.com slash this film is lit. We just put out a bonus episode yesterday. Uh, uh, where we discussed uh, 2017's Anna and the Apocalypse, which was a patron request. We're going through a backlog of movies that our patrons requested for us to watch and talk about that aren't uh, particularly like podcast fodder, like mm-hmm. main podcast stuff because they're not based on books or whatever. Um, and Anna and the Apocalypse was the first one, which is a zombie musical Christmas movie from 2017. That was a lot of fun to talk about. So you can go, if you support us for $5 or up, you can listen to that and all of the other backlog of bonus content that we have and we'll be doing uh, another bonus episode every single month if not more than one a month also if you can't support us on patreon that's fine you can head over to facebook twitter instagram goodreads any of the social media platforms follow us uh, like us uh, share us around but also like we said f- comment share your opinions especially on the follow-up polls that get posted on friday even if you don't vote share your uh, your feedback let us know mm-hmm. what you thought and we'll read it on the prequel episode and finally katie what's next up next, we will be celebrating Valentine's Day. Indeed. With something that has been a long time coming. Indeed it has. For a podcast that compares books and film adaptations. Yeah. We will be talking about Pride and Prejudice. There you go. Novel by A1 Jane Austen. Yep. And the 2005 film. Oh, boy. Kira Knightley, truly the Winona writer of the early 2000s. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, kind of. She played a lot of similar kind of like, I feel like she played some similar type casted roles as Winona Ryder did. I don't know if I know enough of Winona Ryder's uh, credits. Category, catalog. To yeah. say that definitively. I don't want to say definitively, but I feel like. Kira Knightley is definitely the queen of period piece adaptations. Yeah. Like, hands down. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you know what? When you look that good in period dress. When you look good in a corset. Just go get it, girl. <laughs> keep wearing corsets in movies. <laughs> All right. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode. We'll see you back in one week's time for our prequel to Pride and Prejudice. And in two weeks' time, we're talking about Jane Austen's infamous. I don't know. I say infamous. I, sometimes infamous sounds bad. I don't mean it well, bad. Infa- in a bad way. Infamous technically means that it's famous for bad reasons. Is that what it means? Yeah. So I, wouldn't, I feel I wouldn't like infamous has changed. In the yeah. cultural milieu to just mean oh, be synonymous with famous at sometimes. Like you sometimes, can use it yeah. similarly. Yeah. Uh, it's like flammable and inflammable. Those are the same <laughs> thing, which is dumb. But whatever. <laughs> Anyways. Uh, until that time, guys, gals, I'm binary. Everybody else. Keep reading books. Keep watching movies. And, and keep, keep being, being awesome. awesome.